All right, good morning. So, we are uh, working through our AHA series, and of course, uh, we launched this new series last week, and as always, I want to encourage you, if, if you missed last week or you weren't able to be here, um, check out online. You can listen to the podcast. You can check out the video. You can um, stay caught up with, with the sermons that way, and, and that way you'll be able to track with us uh, through this whole thing, because we think there's a lot of good value and a lot of important things for us to understand and tackle as we look at this series. Okay, and, and last week, we, we kind of kicked off looking at the son. Uh, the son, in the story of the prodigal son, uh, decided, for whatever reason, that he would be better off away from the father's house. And we said last week that, that if we're honest, we've all left the father's house at some point. Everybody has walked away from the father's house. And, and for a lot of us, here's what happens. For a lot of us, we leave really gradually. Like, like we leave a little bit at a time where we just stick our toe out and we go. And, and then it's not so bad. So we take another step and we just kind of gradually move away from the Father's house and to the point where we are gone. Some of you, some of me, there are times when what happens is we will run away from the Father's house fast and furious because we want to get as far away as we can. And, and that's what happens with the Son. These are the verses we read last week. This kicks off the parable. This is where we're going to live here for the next few weeks. And here's what he says. To illustrate the point further, this is Jesus talking. As a reminder, the point that Jesus was making, the point that Jesus was making is that his message is for broken people. That you can't fix yourself. Remember, he is talking to Pharisees, and the Pharisees are so upset because Jesus has been teaching tax collectors and notorious sinners and people that are, are destitute and broken, and they know it. And, and so Jesus, to, to get them to understand what he's really trying to say, he tells them the story about the, the shepherd who has 99, but he's lost one. And so the shepherd leaves the 99, and he goes to find the one and bring it back and how they're celebrating and rejoicing. And then he tells the story of the woman who, who had 10 coins, and she lost one, but she swept out the entire home and, and searched and searched until she found the coin that was missing. And they say, hey, in the same way, Man, the angels in heaven will celebrate like crazy when one lost, broken, destitute person repents and comes to faith. And so then we get to this story, and Jesus says, to illustrate the point further, the point that you can't fix yourself, but that God is there to fix you. That you can't and you don't need to get cleaned up before you come to the throne of grace, but that you come to the throne of grace just as you are, broken and messy and hurt and disgusting, and you just come with all of your baggage and all of your mess, and you come to the throne of grace, and there at the throne of grace, you have this moment where God helps. See, some of you, the reason we lingered here last week and the reason we linger again is because I'm convinced that some of you still are at the point where you think, even though you know better, you still think, when I get myself presentable enough, then I will get to Jesus. And so you think there's this stuff that you've got to clean up so that you can come to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you that that's the epitome of self-help. I will, I will work hard, and I will buckle down, and I will do it 
so that Jesus will find me acceptable. And the whole point of these illustrations and then this story of the prodigal son that Jesus is trying to illustrate his point even further is simply this. Come as you are. Because there is no amount of self-help that's going to get you right. There is no amount of cleaning yourself up that is going to get you to a point where God says, yes, now I'll take you. But when you come with your brokenness and you come with your messiness and you come with whatever baggage you've got, you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't do it, but you can. That's where this happens. That's where aha happens. And that's what we're figuring out as we walk through this series. But this is how it starts. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. And it was a man who had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now. Um, basically saying, I wish you were dead. I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And we, you know, we marvel at that a little bit. Why does the father do that? He certainly could have said no. He certainly could have compelled the son to stay. We discovered last week that this parable is really about God and us. So he certainly could have denied the son his request. But God, because he is desiring of us to worship him out of free will, he is desiring for us to come to him in genuine openness, in spirit and truth. He says, fine. And he gives the son what he asks for, and the son goes. And you know what? I think if a lot of us are honest, we've done similar things. We've walked away from the father's house. And, and for some of us, we, like I said, we, we run as fast as we can, but for a lot of us, we just tiptoe away until we are, are so far gone, we didn't even know that's what we were doing. And we look up and we find ourselves in this place called the distant country. And the distant country is confusing. And the distant country is, oh, it's taxing and it's hard. And the distant country is one of those things where when we get there, it feels awesome, but it only leads to death and despair. When I was 18, I went off to college. I was very bold. I was going to live at home and go to, to Blackhawk Community College because, well, my mom worked there, and I thought, well, that would be smart. I should do that. Um, but I'm not very smart. I decided that um, to become an elementary education teacher, I would go to a private school and incur all kinds of debt. So I did. I went to Augustana College. The thing about Augustana College, though, was only 10 minutes from my house. So I, I moved out, but only 10 minutes away. So like every weekend I would go home and I would bring big bags of laundry and my mom would do my laundry and she'd cook dinner and we'd hang out and it was great. And then I stopped going home quite so often and occasionally I would get calls from my, my brother being like, hey, because he still lived there. He'd be like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I don't know. He's like, hey, come home. We want mom to cook again. <laughs> you know, and... I'd get home and mom would say really helpful things like, are you eating your vegetables? I'm like, I'm 19 years old, mom. I didn't eat my vegetables when I lived at home. What do you think? Yeah, right? No joke. Finley knows what I'm talking about. But, but here's the deal. Here's what happens. When we, we, sometimes when we break out on our own, we get to this place called the distant country. I had a roommate, my first roommate, uh, my first because he didn't last long. My first roommate at Augustana College was a guy named Jim from Rockford, Illinois. 
uh, Jim was, um, by all counts, a good kid. Uh, it's a good religious family. Jim grew up in the church. He wasn't perfect. He didn't claim to be. But, but Jim, by all counts, was, was a good kid. Uh, and Jim got to Augustana, and all of the sudden, there were no fences anymore. See, remember, we talked about the fences. We talked about the fences. Oftentimes, what happens is we see the fences, the rules, the laws that God puts in place through his word. See, God's law is real. God's word is real. And some people look at God's law and God's rules and they say, man, those are restrictive in nature. God puts the fence around the yard next to the busy intersection, next to the highway. God puts the fence there and we see the fence and we look at the fence and we say, God is putting us in prison. He's keeping us away from what we really want. He's keeping us away from what would really fulfill us and what would really give us joy. Others of us, when we're wise, we look at that fence. Remember, we see the fence and we say, oh, man, God is so good and gracious. He wants us to enjoy the best of the yard. He wants us to play freely and without care in the yard. But Jim was one of those who could never separate the law of God from the father heart of God. He, or he, he couldn't put them together. So he saw God's laws as restrictive. He saw his parents' rules as restrictive. And he was a good kid from a good home. But as soon as he got away from home, he started to engage in wild living. The, the drug use and the alcohol that he flirted with when he lived at his parents' house, when he lived at the father's house, he flirted with them here. But here, when he was away, he had the freedom to engage to the fullest. And he did. He would regularly go out and party and drink and bring girls home. And if you asked Jim, he would tell you that he was having the time of his life. Because he had real freedom. Because there was nobody there to say no. And there was nobody there to say stop. And there was nobody there to give him guilt or shame because he had gone too far. He was living a wild life in the distant country. And that's what happens to all of us. We get to the distant country and we live. Man, we, we live a wild kind of life. And, and, and we think that we're doing it because it's fun. Because here's the thing about the distant country. When you leave the father's house... You leave the father's house because it seems appealing. You, you leave the father's house and head off for the distant country because you believe there's something there that you desperately need to have. You leave the father's house and, and you travel to the distant country because finally you're going to be fulfilled and you're going to get everything you wanted and there's going to be nobody to make you feel bad about yourself when you engage in all of the living that you've always wanted to engage in. And so we run that direction and that's what happened to the son. A few days later, his father consented and gave him the money. And so a few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and he moved to a distant country. And there he wasted all of his money. He engaged in wild living. See, the thing that you have to know about the distant country, the thing that you have to understand is that it calls to you. I think if you're honest... If we're all honest for a second, 
we'll understand and we'll recognize that there is something so appealing about the distant country. In the moment, there is something so appealing about stepping away from the Father's house, either one step at a time where we dabble and we go further and further and further, or where we just pack our bags and we run away. But there's something so compelling about the distant country because it's full of pleasures that we think we've been robbed. We think we've been told no out of somebody trying to control us where out here it would be so good. And so pleasure, man, it calls. And wild living, listen, I don't, I don't think you have to be um, very imaginative to figure out what it is exactly that Jesus is talking about when he says wild living to this probably 18-year-old young man who all of a sudden is flush with cash. And the distant country, the distant country, when, when, when we talk about the distant country, we're not just talking about someplace that's geographically far away from home. I mean, that was, that was Jesus's intention was to say, look, far away from home. This is this kid left home and he went to this distant land. But all of the hearers, everybody there would have known and understood very clearly what Jesus was trying to communicate about this kid, that he left his father's home, but not just that. Because any distant land, any distant country that this kid was going to was a Gentile country. And for the Jews to to go and purposely leave your community and go to a Gentile country, what that meant was that you were intentionally, on purpose, you were leaving your community of faith. You were making an intentional decision, and some of you have made this intentional decision in the past, whether it was when you were 18 and you left your, your, you left your father's house here, and you, you walked away and you made the decision, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm done with that life of faith. I'm, I'm, I'm finished with this. But what happens is, is when he left his Jewish community, and he went to live freely in the Gentile land, they would have said that the younger son was turning his back on his faith, which meant this, check this, he was not just leaving his earthly father, but he was leaving his heavenly father as well. See, and here's something that you need to understand about when you decide whether you decided on purpose or whether it just kind of happened to you as you took steps. When you decide to end up in the distant country, you're leaving your heavenly father behind. And some of you are in the distant country right now. Like I said, we've all made the choice to go there. Some of you are there right now. And for some of you, it's not necessarily that you've left the faith completely and you've run away to this distant country. Some of you, though, man, you have got your own place where you say, God is not allowed here. Like, I know what God says, and I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do all these things, and I'm going to submit to God, except for right here. And you, you have this, this distant country in your heart, this part of your life, and you put up no trespassing signs, and you say, God, you are welcome in my life, but don't go there. I have electrified this fence, God. Don't even get near there. And we do that all the time. Some of you do it with your money. You're like, God, you can be in charge of me in, in any way that you want, but, but don't, don't even tell me how to spend my money. Some of you do it with sex. 
God, I, I will freely submit to you and I will freely submit to you, but don't tell me who to have sex with and who not to have sex with. Some of you do it with, with pornography. Some of you do it with um, your relationships outside of marriage. Some of you do it with your relationship with alcohol. Some of you do it with your relationship with, with um, work and business practices and what's acceptable and what's not. We, we've all left the Father's house, some of us overtly. Uh, the thing is, most people that have overtly left the Father's house aren't here this morning. I mean, maybe. Maybe there's somebody here that's run away from the father's house and, and their father or their mother drugged them to church and said, you're going to be here and you're going to listen. Or maybe you responded to a neighbor's invitation or uh, maybe your wife or your husband drug you along today. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you've run away from the father's house, but you happen to find yourself here today. But most of us, most of us here today, we, we, we wouldn't admit that we're in the distant country. We wouldn't admit it. Because what happens is we, we still, in a lot of ways, we're still connected with the Father's house, but there's part of us that we've said, God, this part's off limits to you. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Before we go any further, I'm going to ask you to identify what that is. You can write it in your note page. You can jot it in your Bible. You can just think about it in your head. Um, but I'm going to ask you to identify what that is. Have you ever been to the mall and you're desperately trying to find a store? Listen to me. I hate the mall. Like with a passion. The only good thing about the mall is Chick-fil-A. And I'm not ashamed to say that. The problem is this. The only time we ever end up at the mall is on a Sunday. Chick-fil-A is not open on a Sunday. And so there's really no point to go to the mall. <laughs> I hate the mall. And so when, when I go to the mall, I want to get in, get what we need, and get out. Now, it's different than Carrie. Carrie likes to go to a store that has smelly things. What's it? It's a bed, bath, and beyond. No. Whatever. I don't know what the beyond part is about, but we go to the store and we smell things, and she's like, here, smell this one. I'm like, oh, it smells good. She puts it back. I'm like, it smelled good. Let's get it. Let's buy it. Let's go home. But there's like 12 more that we have to smell. But I don't know if you know this or not about smelly things. By the time you get to the 12th one, you've forgotten what the first five smelled like. So you got to go back. I hate the mall. <laughs> but if we're in the mall and we got to find a store, you know what I always look for to help me find the store? The map. You look for the map. They got these big things that it's like, hey, it's got a map of the mall. So you can find out, hey, look, I need to get to GameStop because Travis asked me to pick something up and it's right there. And I'm going to figure out how to weave my way there as quickly as possible. Get it. Get out. Everybody wins. Maybe swing by the cookie stand because they fill those with frosting and it's good times. But the map doesn't do you any good unless you find that star on the map. Right? You can look at this map and you're like, okay, well, here's where I want to go, but it does me zero good unless I can figure out where I am. And so to figure out where you are, you've got to look for that little star, that you are here. And when you figure out where you are, that you are here, then you can start to navigate where you need to be. And so look, listen to me now. Some of you need to figure out where you are because you can't possibly begin to start navigating your way back home. 
You can't possibly hope to be getting yourself back to the Father's house, fully integrated into the life of the Father, fully welcomed home. And, and Jesus is waiting for you. Your Father in heaven is waiting for you to come home. But you can't hope to be getting there unless you figure out where you are. What is your distant country? Where have you said, God, no, you, you don't need this part of me? And you need to recognize that. I need to recognize that, and we need to figure that out because it's only once we figure that out that we have any hope at all of navigating home because God is going to be coming into your life through this process in the Holy Spirit. See, that's what aha is. Remember, it's this beautiful collision where your broken life meets through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. It meets this truth, and you make the decision to engage in that truth and come home. But listen to me, you cannot engage with truth and come home if you don't know where you're off. It's time for you to figure out where you are. Okay? But we keep going. Okay? And I want you to know this about the distant country and why it feels so appealing and why it always falls short. Because some of you right now are thinking, you know what, Matt? I'm in the distant country and I'm having the time of my life. Why would I change it? Why would I fix it? Because when I said the distant country calls to you with pleasure, you said, yes, it does. And it's awesome. But you know what the vehicle is that gets you to the distant country? The vehicle that gets you there is sin. And here's what I can tell you for sure about sin. It is not awesome for long. James warns us about sin. He says this in uh, James 1. He says, and remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me because God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Okay, but here's the catch. Here's the thing about sin that you need to know. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. They entice us and they convince us to leave the Father's house. And so we leave, we're drug away, and the desires give birth to sinful actions. And when a sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And when you look at the original language there, when you really dig into what that is, when you really understand what James is talking about, the word he uses for gives birth to death, you'll excuse the graphic nature of this, but it's the word he uses for a stillborn baby. It's the word he uses for a baby that is born dead. See, you can't, you can't misunderstand what sin does. It is full of hopes. It is full of dreams. It is full of freedom. It is full of good things. Sin is full of this, and it grows, and it gestates, and you're like, yes, finally I'm free. I can do what I want, and there are no consequences. There's nobody to tell me no. There's nobody to make me feel guilty. There's no one to heap shame on me. I can just experience this freedom, and so I revel in it, and it grows but eventually, I promise you this, it is going to give birth to death. And, and it's, it's this picture of if you were so excited and you've been preparing and you've painted the room and you've bought the clothes and you've washed everything and you've put it away and you've gotten yourselves all ready for this bundle of joy, this new life that's coming home with you and you are so ready and prepared for it. And then all of a sudden, this thing that you've been banking on and living for is death. That's what sin is. Listen to me. That's why sin feels pleasurable. Because you are engaged in this thing. It's a counterfeit. 
And some of you, listen to me, I, my, my question for you, and we're really going to deal with this next week, but I'm just going to ask you now to be thinking about it, is how loud does the alarm clock have to be? See, we, we always talk about rock bottom, and, and like I said, we're going to deal with this next week, but we always talk about this idea of rock bottom, hitting rock bottom, getting to rock bottom before. Now, you don't ever have to get to rock bottom. Because I promise you, God is blaring an alarm clock at you. For some of you right now, your alarm clock is me. It's the people that love you in small group that are going to tell you hard, true things. But I promise you, God is communicating with you. How loud does it have to be? But this is sin. Sin is the vehicle that gets you to the distant country. We could say it this way, too. The distant country... When it blows up on you, and oh, it will blow up on you. When it gives birth to death, and it will absolutely give birth to death. When that happens, here's what it is. It is the natural consequence for your decisions to live a life that you thought was good away from the Father. That's what happens. Okay? We keep going. Back to Luke 15, 13. So a few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant country um, to engage in wild living. But, but get this part here. Not only does the distant country call to you with pleasure, the distant country inevitably leaves you broke. The distant country will cost you everything. You know what? The, in the original Greek, wild living... You know what that means? It's the manner of life by which someone destroys himself. That's what wild living means. When you look at that word in the original language, what that means is that he went to the distant country and he engaged in this pleasurable, wild living. He spent everything he had on prostitutes, on parties. He spent everything he had on being the life of the party. He spent everything he had to go ahead and engage in sin to the fullest extent he could, what we would call wild living. And when the Bible says wild living, what it means is it's a manner of life by which you destroy yourself. See, we can read wild living and we can kind of clean it up a little bit, but when you read that in the original language, a manner of life by which you destroy yourself, there is no sugarcoating that we could put on that. He engaged in destructive practices why? Because it felt good for a second. Because in the moment, it met his need. And when we, when we pare it down to its simplest thing, again, we can relate to that. We, we don't understand about wasting our life in, in wild living and blowing everything that we had, about spending all of our money and having it leave us broke. But, but we do know, you know about chasing pleasure. You know about chasing pleasure to the point that it takes from you. See, what happens when we talk about this is you've got, and I have, I'm, you're not alone, I'm, I'm the same way. We've got an internal defense attorney that kicks into high gear. And it wants to start making excuses about why, well, that's not really true for me. Yes, I know I'm doing this, but that's not really true for me. Yeah, I know I've engaged in that, but that's not really true for me. Yeah, I know I'm not doing what God wants me to do in this fenced-off area of my life, but, but I'm not in the distant country. You get this internal defense attorney that just kicks into high gear and wants to make it okay for you. Listen to me. 
It's a manner of living by which you destroy yourself. And it will leave you broke. It might not leave you broke financially. It might, depending on what it is. But it could cost you your relationships. It might not leave you broke financially, but it could cost you your kids. It might not leave you broke financially, but, but it could take your job. It might not leave you broke financially, but, but here's what it could do. It could ruin your reputation. It could take the trust that people had in you. And ultimately, you find yourself in the distant country, and now all of a sudden, the sin that was so good and that you enjoyed so much and the sin that was so pleasurable and the thing that drew you all of a sudden has become death to you, but you're stuck. And that's what, that's what happens in the distant country. And I know, I know I'm painting a negative picture, but that's what this is about. This is why we have to be careful. And don't worry, next week we're going to get into what happens when we recognize that just because we're at the end of ourselves does not mean that God is at the end of the story. But right now you need to recognize that when you are in the distant country, you are away from the Father and you're doing it to yourself. And no matter how good it feels and no matter how pleasurable it is, there is a point where you will wake up and it will have led to death and it will cost you everything. Let's finish here. Um, the last couple of verses for this text, and it says this. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. You ever wonder, sometimes when, when you're in the distant country and it starts to feel so good and you're enjoying it and it's, it's, it's great. See, when you leave the father's house, it's not bad at first. It's, it's pretty good. But then all of a sudden, everything comes crashing down. And, and have you ever said to yourself, man, I wish I could just catch a break? What happens when, when this gives birth to death is that it falls apart so quickly and what you ask God for a lot of times is you ask God for relief. And can I be really bluntly honest with you? God is not interested in your relief when you are in the distant country. If you are in the distant country and you are praying for relief, you are praying the wrong prayer. I really need you to hear that because this is what happens. We're here and we're saying, God, make it easier. Take away the pain. Make it better. And what God is saying is, no, I'm not going to take away the pain. Because what you need is to come home, not to make the distant country easier for you to live in. And so if you are somewhere and you find yourself and you're like, man, I know I'm not living life the way I'm supposed to, and God just keeps pushing me down, or circumstances or life just keep pushing me down, and, and, and I keep asking God, make it better. Relieve some of this pressure. Take away some of the pain and God is silent? It's because he is not going to make it easy for you to live in the distant country. He is going to allow the pressure to mount to the point where you will pack your bags and you will come home. And that is not necessarily what we like to hear about the God of the universe, but he is a good, loving father. Some of you have parents that are out of the house and you have had to make those same hard decisions, and I know it where you have had to say, you know what? I am not going to make it easy for you, son that I love, daughter that I love, grandchild that I love. I am not going to make it easy for you to go live that life. And they'll accuse you of not caring, of pulling away, of not helping them out. But you have made a very conscious decision. I know some of you are here right now. You've made a very conscious decision to let them suffer. 
Not because you're mad at them. Not because you're angry at them. But because what you desperately want for them is not to get comfortable where they're at. But what you desperately want for them is to come home. God does that for us. And sometimes it feels so awful and we don't understand. So I want, I want you to understand that, that that's often what happens. And that's what happens here. I'm sure this son cried out for relief, for rain, for something. But he got nothing. And as the money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve, all of a sudden he's alone. There's a great song. It's a Ray Charles tune. Nobody knows you when you're down and out. Who knows it? That is terrible. I want you all to do this when I'm done preaching. When you leave here today, look it up on YouTube. Nobody knows you when you're down and out. Man, I'm, I'm sad for us in Vinton, Iowa. We'll get over it. Anyway, so here's what he does. He persuades a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And the young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. The man finds himself leaving a life of joy and pleasure where he works hard but he wants for nothing in the father's house. And he goes away so that he can spend everything in wild living a manner by which you live which destroys yourself. And he does. He lives it up in wild living. But wild living will always, even though it calls with pleasure, it will leave you broke and it will leave you alone. And that's where the man finds himself. And, and that's where we end the story this week. As we've been looking at the parable, we end here. But listen to me, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, most of you have read this, so you know how it ends. But if you haven't, it's okay because he is going to respond to the call of the Father. Because here's the thing that you need to understand, is that God is always calling you home. The problem is, though, we have this terrible view of God. In fact, uh, Kyle Eidelman says it this way. This is the book that we're, that we're um, working through and some of the information. Here's what he says. He says, what drives many travelers to the distant country is that they're running away from a God that doesn't exist. You remember my story about Jim? How Jim, Jim came to college and he engaged in wild living and it was great. Remember how I told you he lasted six weeks? Jim lasted six weeks because um, as he would experiment with drugs and alcohol and random relationships um, and they were enjoyable, but they just weren't enough. And it was just six weeks. I mean, this guy dug in hard. But Jim decided one night that he wanted to try something a little bit harder. And so he tried some drugs that he hadn't tried before, something called acid. And he got drunk, and he got high, and uh, he went out to a party with some friends of his and got confronted by the boyfriend of, of one of the women that he had engaged with. And next thing you know, one thing led to another, and... Um, Jim ended up stabbing several people. Um, everybody's fine-ish. Um, he got three in the arm, one in the leg, and then um, with what would have been a really bad blow if he had landed it on the person he was aiming at, um, 
he missed and got himself in the lake. Um, I got a phone call from his, um, one of his friends that evening. I was not at college when he had friends coming. That was my clue. I only lived 10 minutes from home. That was my clue to go home. Okay? I'm not the brightest guy in the world, but I'm smarter than that. So I got a call at my home um, that Jim had been arrested and Jim was in jail. And, and what happened is Jim had found himself in the distant country. And the wild living was awesome for a minute. Some of you just sent your kids off to college. It's going to be okay, I promise. Should have told, should have told that story like back in May. When's family weekend? Who's going, who's going back soon? But, but here's the thing. So, so it was awesome for a minute. But it ended in a cell. And Jim got out. He went home. He paid a fine. He, he had, uh, I mean, he, he, he did some, some jail time. Um, I can't remember the details. I was 18. This is a long time ago. Okay. But, uh, but that's what happens. And what, what was true for Jim, and I think it's true for a lot of us, is he was running away from a, a God that didn't exist. You know, as, as it turned out, he, like I said, his parents were, were pretty faithfully religious and went to church a lot, but turns out not necessarily very spiritual. They didn't have a relationship with God, but they had this, hey, let's be religious and let's check the boxes and let's do the things. And, and, and unfortunately, when Jim got to college, he said, I, I don't want any of that. He was running away from a God that didn't exist. He was running away from a God that had been created for him rather than a God who created him. And sometimes we run away from a God that doesn't exist, and we got to be really careful about that. So wrong views of the Father, real quick, there's four of these that we're going to go through, and I'm just going to, if these resonate with you, I just want you to understand. We're going to get into as the Father calls us home, but I want you to understand if one of these as we talk about these four things, if one of them is like, oh yeah, yeah, that's true, I want you to understand and I want you to know that that's not who God is. And so the first one is the unreasonable father. That's the father who wants you to have no fun ever. That's the father that is a killjoy. That's the father who has decided that, that anything pleasurable or enjoyable is to be shunned. Movies are terrible, cards are bad, don't bother dancing, sex only for the purposes of procreation in a marriage. This is, this is not a father who creates joy. This is not a father who creates laughter. This is not a father who says, here is a fence, play freely in the yard because it is so good. This is a father who builds a prison and says, if you want to live in my house, you, you follow my rules. That's not your father in heaven. That's not the father that's calling you home. There's the unpleasant father. This is the father that you, um, this is the father that you just can't seem to get along with. If you think about it, this guy is, is the one that heaps guilt and shame on you to control you. He's the one that, that wants you to constantly be judging whether or not you're good enough. He's the one that wants you to be cleaning yourself up so that you can talk to him. 
If you grew up with an unpleasant father, you need to know, or, or if that's your view of God as, as an unpleasant father, you need to know that you have a father in heaven who would give you anything that your heart desired. And he's the one that knows what your heart really desires. He's the one that knows what your heart really needs. And he wants to give you everything that is good for you. There's the unmerciful father. This is the father who's never satisfied with your best. This is the father where you bring that be home on the report card and it's not being celebrated, but you're having a conversation about why you didn't get straight A's this semester. This is the father where you scored a touchdown, but you know what? He wants to talk with you more about the touchdown you didn't score. And it's just never good enough. And you know what? Here, if it's just not good enough, if I can't please you, then I'm not even going to try. And so the, the road to the distant country is filled with people who have decided that God is not able to be pleased, and so they don't even want to try to please God, and they just go. And then this last one is, is the uncaring father. Most of us, a lot of us have had moments where things happen. Bad things happen, tragedy happens, sickness happens, death happens, things happen that we don't like. And we assume that because God allowed those things to happen, that he just must not care. And so it goes like this, man, God, if you don't care about me, if God's just this impersonable force that doesn't care about me, then I'm not going to care about him either. And I head to the distant country. And a lot of us, it, it's one of those things. It, it's the wrong view of the Father. We leave the Father's house because we have a wrong view of the Father. It's a few we've created. We've decided that God is like this, and so we are justified in running away. But here's what I want you to remember, and this is where we'll end today. Even in the distant country, even though you've turned your back on God, even though you were the one that walked away, God is not uncaring. God is not unmerciful. God is not impersonal, impersonable. God is not unpleasant. God is a loving, merciful, gracious Father who wants more than anything else for you to come home. He wants to help you. He wants to save you. More than anything else, God is asking you to come home. And it starts with the alarm clock. It starts with waking up. And this is where we'll pick up next week as we continue the story of the prodigal son and the way that God draws him back. And it starts with the alarm clock. And it starts, unfortunately, the alarm clock didn't go off when his accountant said, hey, oof, your funds are running low. The alarm clock didn't go off when he had such a hard time getting up the next morning because he was hungover. The alarm clock, he didn't answer the alarm clock. He didn't, he didn't turn it off and he didn't change his mind when he woke up somewhere that wasn't his home, in his gutter somewhere because he just couldn't make it all the way home. He ignored it every time it went off. You know what it's like? This morning, Carrie's alarm clock went off and you know what it was? It was piano music. It was soft, and it was pleasant, and it was piano music. And I was like, oh, I want to listen to that more. 
There's no part of me that wants to turn that off. Let's just let that go. I could sleep with that going on in the background for a really long time. And then five minutes later, my alarm went off. And it was like a siren. And I was up. Some of you ignore the alarm clock. Listen to me. But I promise you that God is trying to get your attention. And you don't have to get to the point where you are in a pig pen desiring to eat pig slop. You don't have to get there. But God is a loving, merciful, gracious, caring Father who wants nothing more than for you to come home. 